0: Welcome back, everyone, to Patriot Coalition Live. I'm Jason Morocheck. Thanks for joining us today. Our goal is to create a timeless resource to teach about the U.S. Constitution and the proper role of government, the importance of America's Judeo-Christian heritage, and how to defend against threats to our republic. But before we get into today's topic, I want to talk to you about something that you can do today to begin rooting out one of the major sources of corruption in America. This source of corruption is what we will call the three-headed beast mainstream media, big tech and big business. These mega corporations are actively undermining our liberties through censorship, canceling and destroying livelihoods because they don't like dissent and they don't like people who share truths which threaten their power. Earlier this year, Google, Apple, Amazon Web Services, they all canceled Parler or stopped giving access to Parler. Social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter regularly suspend accounts when they don't like their posts. So why continue to send your money to Amazon when they are canceling and censoring those who stand up for liberty, when you can spend your hard-earned money with freedom-loving companies who share your values and your principles? One such company is conservativeeconomy.com. We have tons of companies to shop from with over 3,300 categories of products with more being added every week. So chances are you will find what you're looking for at conservativeeconomy.com. If you shop at a business that you love and you think that business would be a great fit at conservativeeconomy.com, go to our contact page and let us know. If you own a business... Go to the sell here link at conservativeeconomy.com and tell us about your business. Again, that website is conservativeeconomy.com. So please check us out today. Okay, let's get into today's episode. Today's episode is Article 1, Section 8, The Limited Powers of Congress, and this is Part 6. And as a quick review, Article 1 is all about Congress, um, and, and Article 1, Section 8 essentially describes the limited powers of Congress. So you may be asking, wow, part six, how many parts of Article I, Section 8 can there be? Well, quite a few, right? And frankly, I don't know at this point. Um, you know, I am trying to break this up into bite-sized pieces that is understandable and uh, that can be, that you can follow along with and uh, be able to retain moving forward, right? So remember that the temporary loan of authority that we, the people, give to Congress to create laws, and then, then we must all live by, is one of the most sacred authorities we can entrust to them. It's the, it's the basis of every civil society, to be able, the ability to create laws. So if this is one of the most sacred and fundamental ways that we create a civil society, then the part of the Constitution where we define those powers must be one of the most important sections in this brilliant document. And it impacts just about every aspect of our lives. Uh, and you can just try to think of an aspect of your life that is not impacted by national legislation. Usually it's in a bad way. And it's usually accomplished without regard to the authority that we, the people, granted to Congress. So it is one of the most abused sections in the entire Constitution. Um, and, and it's one of the longest ones, too, because of all the powers that are contained in it. So that's why we are spending so much time on Article One, Section 8. OK, so let's get into today's clauses. So the, the the clauses we're covering today are clauses 15 through 17. So Clause 15 says, quote, the Congress shall have power to provide for calling forth the militia to execute the laws of the Union, suppress insurrections and repel invasions. So first of all, what is the militia? <laughs> If the founders heard us ask this question today, they would have never pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. Uh, so there were militias in the colonies since at least 1631 in Massachusetts, and probably um, 1629 in Virginia. Though I couldn't actually find the text prior to the episode, so I can only I can only find references to it. A militia was was just widely known I mean it was as as common and uh, um, as common a term as you would find everyone knew what a militia was it was every able-bodied male who could defend the settlements from Indians other settlers other nations maybe who were vying for the same territory and so forth uh, it was every man's duty to participate so the the concept of a militia was well known um, we had used it for centuries at the time of the of the founding. Uh, or at the time of the uh, framing of the Constitution, it was it was very well known. So what was the intent of this clause uh, in order to give Congress the ability and the power to call forth the militia to execute laws, suppress insurrections, and repel invasions? Um, you, you know, as I, as I started to think about how to describe this, uh, I came across a, a quote from Gouverneur Morris, one of the delegates to the Constitution. This was after the the Constitutional Convention when they were arguing uh, and presenting their case for why that we should adopt the Constitution in the States. And he said this, quote, with respect to a standing army, I believe there was not a number in the Federal Convention, sorry, there was not a member in the Federal Convention who did not feel indignation at such an institution, meaning of the standing army. What remedy then could be provided? Leave the country defenseless? In order to provide for our defense and exclude the dangers of a standing army, the general defense is left to those who are the objects of defense. It is left to the militia who will suffer if they become the instruments of tyranny. The general government must have power to call them forth when the general defense requires it. In order to produce greater security, the state governments are to appoint the officers. The president who commands them when the actual service of the union when in the actual service of the Union, is appointed secondarily by the people. This is a further security. It is not incredible that men who are interested in the happiness of their country, whose friends, relations, and connections must be involved in the fate of their country, should turn against their country. I appeal to every man, whether if any of our own officers were called upon to destroy the liberty of their country, he believes they would assent to such an act of suicide. The state governments, having the power of appointing them, may elect men who are most remarkably for their virtue and attachment to their country. So Morris he lays out here the reason why they felt it in, important to be able to call forth the state militias in service to the national government, uh, and, and he describes he's like who are who are the ones that are best able to and most motivated to to fight. Uh, as hard as possible, in order to preserve their their freedoms, their liberties, and their um, and their their physical well being, and it is those people who live in the areas where maybe an invasion or some sort of uh, some sort of force is coming to try to either enslave or uh, destroy. So. So today, the term militia is not used, really, except in a negative connotation, referring to those who essentially wish to be prepared to protect their loved ones and their God-given liberties. So we don't hear the term militia unless it's uh, in some negative comment- connotation, usually on the news, etc. So after the Constitution was ratified, the Militia Act of 1792 ordered able-bodied men to be enrolled in the militia, quote, within whose bounds such citizens shall reside. In other words, okay, we're we we are passing a law as to who can serve or who needs to serve in the militia, but we're saying that you have to enroll in your area. And in that act, it specific talks about into the companies and commanders who um, are in that area. So this left the militias in local control. But then fast forward to 1903. In 1903, uh, Congress passed, uh, they at least, yeah, they passed what's called the Dick Act of 1903. Uh, it placed all men ages 17 to 45 in the militia of the United States. This act placed these men into two different classes. The first one was called the organized militia, which consists of the National Guard and the naval militia. And the second class of people that w- were um were were stood up as the militia of the United States were called the unorganized militia. And that consists of the members of the militia who are not members of the National Guard or the Naval Militia. So basically that's all other men from 17 to 45 are in what's called the unorganized militia. So essentially every man in the United States was just federalized. They were just put into a a militia belonging to or controlled by the federal government, the, the central government. So, And by redefining the term militia in this federal statute, the Dick Act, rather than using the term that is known in the Constitution that had been well understood for centuries, the Dick Act attempts to place all of these men, every man between 17 and 45, under the military jurisdiction of the central government at all times. Right? They're always in that militia, and it's called the militia of the United States. We're going to see later how this contradicts with the intent of the framers, if you haven't already figured that out. So the specific purposes under the the federal authority, um, the the reasons that Congress can call forth the militia in service to um, the United States is three purposes. To execute the laws, meaning they don't have the manpower to execute the laws and it's becoming a problem. Number two is to suppress insurrections, and an insurrection, uh, I'll go back to Webster's 1828 dictionary, is the open and active opposition of a number of persons to the execution of a law in a city or state. Now, we've talked about this a little bit before, but a law is something that is passed in pursuance of the Constitution, and we will get to that uh, when we get to the supremacy clause later in in Article 1. Um, But this does not mean that they can use the militias to try to um, put down people who are uh, actively and assertively fighting against an unconstitutional enactment. Those are two different things. They can only they can only bring the the militia into the service of the United States to put down or suppress an insurrection, which means people who are opposing uh, a a law that has passed in pursuance of the Constitution. And the third thing that they that they can call the militia forward is to repel invasions. So you know, obviously, if if uh, you know somebody comes, you know, charging across our southern border, as an example, um, and they have no right to the things here in the United States and they're trying to take them, um, you know, we can use the militia to repel invasions. So that is that's clause fifteen. Clause 16 of Article 1, Section 8 says, quote, The Congress shall have power to provide for organizing, arming, and disciplining the militia, and for governing such part of them as may be employed in the service of the United States, reserving to the states, respectively, the appointment of the officers and the authority of training the militia according to the discipline prescribed by Congress. So the intent of this clause um, is stated best by James Madison. He said state legislatures are currently, and this is at the time of the the framing, are currently neglecting their militias today and would attend to them, meaning uh, make sure that they were well well suited and well capable of, of their duties. He said they would attend to them no more than they did to the tax requisitions of from the Confederacy. So you remember we talked about how one of the reasons why um, you know, the Constitution 1.0, the, the Articles of Confederation didn't work was because there was no teeth and they could, they could say, hey, uh, states, we'd really like you to give us some money in order for us to, you know, organize militias or, or whatever it happens to be. Well, the states sometimes, they just said, you know what? We just can't afford it right now. And so you're not going to get the money. Madison is saying that they, they're treating their, their militias in the same way at the time of the founding. They're sometimes neglecting them. The state legislatures just wouldn't turn out the money to pr- prepare their militias well. So that was the intent of this. That was the intent of giving Congress the authority, the power to organize, arm, and discipline them. All right. So, and and those are exactly the things that they're, that Congress is allowed to do. They can organize them. They can arm them. They can discipline or provide for the discipline, uh, which means a little bit different than you're probably thinking, but does include what you're thinking. Um, And then also govern them, which means to make the rules for the militias. Now, they can do. The Congress can do all these things, but only while they are employed by the central government, right? In the clause, it says, um, it, and for governing such part of them as may be employed in the service of the United States. So in other words, not at all times, but only while they are called into service of the United States. So this was the intent of the framers. But now the Dick Act that we just talked about seeks to place these men in the militia of the United States at all times. Not just when they're called into service by the United States. So that's the that's the difference. Now uh, another delegate, Rufus King, um, he was on the committee who drafted the language for this clause. When he when he was asked, um, you know, about what these terms meant, you know, organizing, arming, disciplining, he said, "Quote by organizing the committee by organizing the committee meant proportioning the officers and men. By arming them, he meant." Or the, the committee meant specifying the kind, size, and caliber of arms, and by disciplining he meant prescribing the manual exercise, evolutions, etc. Now, um, really quick, prescribing so disciplining meant prescribing the manual exercise, evolutions, etc. So a manual exercise was known at that time. Um, It was a military term, and it meant uh, essentially evolutions was a common military term to mean how uh, commanding officers ensured that their units drilled effectively. Uh, So, you know, the commands that they use, the procedures that they use in order to to drill, um, you know, how they held their shoulders, which shoulder, how they were supposed to react to uh, commands, uh, all those sorts of things. Now, Rufus King also went on to say in, in, in describing and elucidating on um, the, the, the phrase that they used in this clause. He said that arming meant not only to provide for uniformity of arms, but included authority to regulate the modes of furnishing. furnishing. In other words, we can decide how they get their arms, either by the militia themselves, meaning the militia you're responsible for getting your own weapons, the state governments mean obviously the state governments or the national treasury and the laws for disciplining must involve penalties and everything necessary for enforcing penalties so not only did it say here's how you should um, conduct manual exercise but if the units if the if the soldiers do not conform to that here's how you can discipline them okay now despite the fact that Congress has given the power to organize arm and discipline, there are certain things that the states um, retain for themselves. And it says that specifically. I'll go back and read. It says, um, the appointment of officers and the authority of training the militia according to the discipline prescribed by Congress is reserved for the states. So the states, even even though the Congress can arm, uh, they can Organize, they can discipline and govern while they're in the service of the United States. The states themselves are still uh, allowed and expected to appoint the officers of the militia and to train the militia, providing that they're disciplining them in accordance with the Cong- with Congress's laws that we just talked about. So, this was intended. Um, the idea that the, the states should appoint the officers was intended to keep them loyal to the states, right? You don't want um, you don't want the the officers in your militia to be appointed by the national government or maybe some other state. You want them to be appointed by uh, members of the militia or people in your own state. So now remember Governor Morris's description um, of of, uh, of this clause. The militia, for centuries, was supposed to be a military force for the local areas and the states. That's what it was. They, they understood this. But now that there was a United States, they must be made, meaning the militia must be made available to the central government to conduct the same operations, enforcing laws, suppressing insurrections, and repelling invasions. So it stands to reason that these operations may may sometimes cross state lines, and so you know it, it wouldn't do for you know Congress to call up the the Maryland militia, and all of a sudden um, you know the uh, the object of you know, the reason why they got called up is now in Virginia. Oh, sorry, we can't cross the state line because we're only the, the militia from Maryland. Well, they wanted to avoid this. And so it, it stands to reason that, okay, it makes sense for their, the, these militias to be called into service to the United States. But, and I, and I alluded to this just briefly already, to ensure the loyalty to the states, the framers specifically said that the states would appoint the officers. the states would never have agreed to a constitution that put their militia under the command of someone from the central government or another state. And so that is why they made that provision. Okay, so that that ends our discussion of Clause 16. Now Clause 17, the Congress shall have the power to exercise exclusive legislation in all cases whatsoever over such district, not exceeding 10 square miles, as may by cession of particular states and the acceptance of Congress become the seat of the government of the United States and to exercise like authority over all places purchased by the consent of the legislature of the state in which the same shall be for the erection of forts, magazines, arsenals, dockyards, and other needful buildings. So this is a mouthful um, and it's, it's much easier to read than it is to listen to. So I always, always encourage you to go back and read these uh, clauses as we're discussing them. So this clause is essentially what gives Congress the authority over what today is Washington DC. So the framers wanted to avoid co-locating the national seat of government with a state or a city seat of government. Um, they thought that this would produce disputes about jurisdiction. Uh, and, you know, in other words, we're passing laws for the nation or for this city. Well, but this city is also in the state. And so we shouldn't, um, you know, we should be able to, as a state legislature, uh, be able to decide that. Well, they wanted to avoid those disputes. And so the other reason that they wanted to, to put this clause in here was it might introduce bias in the legislative deliberations if a... National seat of government was put inside of a, a city or a state. They thought that it might start to to appear like that state or that city had more sway over the deliberations than any other uh, state. So that was the intent. Now, again, it says in the the text of the clause, and I'm going to summarize it here because again, it the way that they wrote it, um, you know, grammatically, it's it's precise, but today. Sometimes we, we struggle to, uh, to follow the, the grammar. So the limitations so that they are provided, Congress is giving themselves or the constitution gives Congress the authority to um, essentially exercise any sort of legislation over um, a specific subsection of the country. And it's 10 square miles. Uh, that subsection must be ceded by the states like voluntarily given and accepted by Congress. And it must, it places, um, the, the places where they are going to be able to um, pass legislation for. And, and they were specifically called out. Forts, magazines, arsenals, dockyards, and other needful buildings. Uh, so it's pretty, it, it's all inclusive. It talks mostly about the, the military and the, the shipping facilities, but also says other needful buildings. Right. So any of these places that they call out, they must be purchased and given consent by state, the state legislatures in the states where they're going to reside. Right. So, you know, as an example, you know, the, the the shipyards, the docks in San Diego, California must sell that land, to the federal government and the state legislature of California must approve that sale in order for Congress to be able to legislate over that facility. Same thing for, you know, any building or facility that the uh, the federal government owns. Okay, so essentially Congress, aside from, from uh, creating the legislation for all of those um installations across the the country congress is essentially the city council of washington dc they they that's part of their duties okay so that's the last clause that we are covering today Uh, so in summary clause 15 basically gives congress the authority to call forth the militia which means they can execute law specifically the only things they can do are execute laws suppress insurrections and repel invasions Now, the takeaway here is that the National Guard, which is essentially what the DIC Act calls the militia now, uh, and the unorganized militias are only subject to federal regulations when called into service by Congress to do one of those three things specifically. Notice that sending them into conflicts overseas is not mentioned. Just something to think about. You know, it doesn't say uh, to join the regular army in the prosecution of a war or Uh, anything like that. They can execute laws, they can suppress insurrections, and they can repel invasions. They could be put on the border to repel the invasion uh, from um, all the illegal aliens coming uh, across that border, which doesn't just include Mexicans. Uh, As many of you may know, there's a lot of what we call other than Mexicans and um, uh, persons of interest from uh, terrorist countries who sponsor terrorism coming across that border. So, the National Guard could be used to do that. And they have been. Okay, so this clause also calling forth the militia is also, that's the constitutional authority for a draft. You know, because we have said that from 17 to 45, everyone is um, part of the militia. At at any point, Congress can call them into service to the country. And that's what gives them authorization to to have a draft. And now organizing for self-defense and this is kind of the key takeaway here, organizing for self-defense and the preservation of liberties are God-given rights. It is how we stood up for ourselves in the war of independence and can never be taken away. After all, how can we throw off government as it says in the declaration of independence, if we cannot organize ourselves to do that? It's a critical, it's a critical God-given liberty that cannot be taken away. This idea of being able to organize into militias without interference from the civil authorities. And then finally, Clause 16, organizing, arming, disciplining um, the, the militia, but remember the states appoint the officers and train the units to make sure that they're loyal to the states. And finally, Clause 17 is really about setting up Washington DC and the federal installations. Um, <clears throat> so just know this, we're gonna discuss more about militias when we get into Article Two and the Second Amendment. But for now, know your neighbors, know their capabilities, train yourselves on marksmanship, which requires that you own one or more firearms, and keep your powder dry. All right, well, if you'd like to support us here at Patriot Coalition Live, please go to patriotcoalitionlive.com support. Your support is a big help to us. If you're not already a regular subscriber, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts at places like iHeartRadio and Spotify. Thanks again, everyone, and we'll see you next time.